You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Interning 101 podcast, hosted by yours truly, Emily White, author of Interning 101. Welcome to the Interning 101 podcast. I'm your host, Emily White, and I'm thrilled to have as our guest today, musician and industry person, Nicole Pompey. Welcome, Nicole. Did I say your last name right? Yes, Okay. did. It's a little confusing because Nicole's last name is Pompey, like the famous volcano ash thing from Italy. But what do your musician friends call you? Everyone calls me Pompey. Pompey. And I call you Nicole because I'm like old or something. (laughs) So I'm really excited to have Nicole as a guest. I want to give some background here. Um, I think she's an amazing example of an artist, a great drummer, great musician who is also having a successful career in the music industry. And I think that's really hard to do, but it also makes sense because you're working at Pledge Music, which is obviously super artist friendly and really you know, teaches artists how to distribute their music, get those email addresses, stuff like that. Um, But let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from uh, right outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, great. And how did you end up at the Berklee School of Music? I I was in love with drums since I was about four. And then um, I learned about Berklee when I was in middle school. And it was just, there was simply no other option. Uh, My parents were like, you have to go to school. You can't not go to college. It's like, well, I'm going here. Um, So I applied at three schools, but only auditioned at one. Berkeley was my first one. And when I got in, I was like, cancel the other ones. This is, this is what I'm doing. Amazing. Yeah. Who are some of your drumming influences? I'm a really big fan of um, Anika Niles. She's a German drummer, uh, plays a lot of fusion. Um, I also love Jojo Mayer and Mark Juliana. They're huge in like the beat music kind of crowd. They were really, uh, Jojo Mayer specifically was huge for the underground breakbeat scene in New York. Um, and so a lot of that kind of experimental stuff. Um, I've been getting into a lot of more electronic drumming with um, Sunhouse Sensory Percussion. It's a cool company um, that I'm one of their artists with their with these basically super smart triggers. It's like the future of electronic drumming, if you will. Cool. How old were you when you started playing drums? I was about eight or so. So it's been it's been nearly 16 years. Nice. And did you take lessons or? I, yeah, I started out taking lessons with a couple different teachers on and off uh, through, uh, through the years. And then when I decided to go to Berkeley, I had, I, I was studying with like three or four different teachers kind of rotating. Awesome. Yeah. So generally speaking, how was your Berkeley experience? There's literally no other place in the world that has that kind of ecosystem. Um, I would not trade the network that I made there for anything and the kind of invaluable experience that I got studying under certain professors like George Howard, um, for example, like absolutely game changing for me. Um, and I think what's important about an institution like Berkeley 
is the folks that you know you surround yourself with like you have to be very on top of what's going on at the school and different uh, you know, talks and programs and things that you can take part in because they kind of give you as the student the autonomy to, you know, you have your required courses and what's in your major, but you really, really have to be good about, you know, going to the talks and showing up and meeting the people and things because of how relationship heavy that, you know, working in the entertainment industry just is generally. So the sooner you get started with that, honestly, the better because, you know, it's very helpful also for navigating what parts of the industry, you know, you want to dive into because there's quite a, you know, a lot of options. Berkeley has like over 12 majors. So awesome. Um, so I love a few things that you said there that shouldn't surprise me in hindsight. Um, but building a network, do you think that's something that just happened? Is that something you put thought into or was it natural? Tell me about that process. Mm, I... One of my main missions uh, upon starting Berkeley was to leave the school with an established band. Um, So from the get-go, I was trying to find musicians that, you know, were able and interested in playing the kind of music that I wanted to play. Uh, So when I got, you know, that part squared away, I started, I moved into a house and we ran um, a house show venue so that I could start learning about bands from you know, other places in the country. So we would host touring bands all the time and I would get all of this contact info. So when I was booking tours for us, I could then, you know, reach out to these bands and various other friends who lived in college towns. So I was like trying to be as calculated as possible, but also like not to, you know, um, using people just to get somewhere from them, you know, like building genuine relationships, but definitely with certain key ideas in mind. You know, like I knew I wanted to have this band after school. So, of course, I'm going to, you know, try to figure out where the other, you know, good college town spots are, invite those bands to come play at our house. So then we can go, you know, meet their communities and networks and such when we were going through. I love it. Um, Yeah, it's all about building genuine relationships. Um, I was the same way on the industry end. I just loved meeting new people, finding out where they're from, what they're all about, and then you know, by the time I graduated, I had this like legitimate network, even though that wasn't necessarily intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's super, super important to try to maintain the, you know, the genuine aspect. Oh yeah. You know, cause then you're going to have actual lasting relationships with people and, you know, which is very, very, very important. Agreed. But I'm talking about this also because I mean, you're part of this generation. So I'm glad to hear that you did genuinely build that network, but, um, you know, for a generation that's grown up with screens in front of them, talking to people, I'm serious, talking to people can be, can be difficult. And I learned this really quickly when I was on a South by a South by Southwest panel on networking. And I was like, who is going to come to this panel? Like who doesn't like talking to people and meeting people and stuff. And it was standing room only. And it was in that moment that I realized when we're all constantly on devices that we're not always the best at communicating. So I, you know, highlight this topic because there are students and actually my former business partner was like this, that consider themselves to be um, more kind of naturally introverted, you know, and I've learned a lot from people like my former business partner who was like, I hate networking events. Like, I'm so glad you love this stuff. You know, like, I I think it was then that I realized like, oh, this is part of work. The people that don't like doing it know that it's a skill and it's work. So that's why it's definitely 
Mm-hmm. Something something to talk about. The other thing that I'm really impressed with is that you took advantage of the events and things that were going on around campus. Because whether you are into networking or it sounds like torture, that's a great way to get your feet wet because it's probably going to be your classmates, your peers, stuff like that. So you're not going to get anywhere by sitting at home and don't feel like you, I mean, it's great if you can be at South by Southwest, but don't feel like you need to go all the way to Austin because most universities have some sort of mixers and and things like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. And a lot of the events too were really eye-opening and such that, you know, one of the great parts about Berkeley is that there were always industry people coming to the school to give presentations and things. So it was an amazing opportunity to go listen to them speak and to hear about what they're working on or, you know, when they were talking about a particular, you know, project or a particular band or something. Um, It was such an awesome opportunity to then ask them questions or to hear even what kind of questions other people were asking them because Mm -hmm. you would get, you know, really interesting, amazing responses from the folks presenting that you, where else are you going to get that info? You know, like you're just, it didn't make any sense to me to not go to those things because, mm-hmm. you know, of course, you know, you're paying for the university. Yeah. And so like, this is a really interesting part, uh, opportunity. Of course you could go and intern at one of those companies, but you know, interning at a company, you, there's a lot, you know, going on. The folks are very, very busy. So now you've got the different heads of these departments here and, giving this time to answering your questions or to being genuine with you. And so that was like huge. Like, of course you want to go to those things. Agreed. And then on the musician end, um, setting up those gig swaps and things like that with um, nationally touring acts is awesome. I love it. Yeah. It was, you know, like a paying it forward kind of favor of like, we have this space we have, you know, being at Berkeley, it was like, we all, me and my friends used to joke that, you know, house shows were for us like sporting events at normal colleges, right? Because on a Friday, Saturday night, of course, all the students are going to flock to, you know, the different, the houses to go see different bands. And it was a really amazing way of um, exposing not only these touring bands to other, you know, like a potential um, fan base in the city, because we didn't, my house specifically, it wasn't only just Berkeley kids coming, it was we would have students from all over the city, like coming to my house all the time. Like sometimes I would just be cooking dinner on a Friday night and people would just show up and like, Oh, we thought there was a show tonight. And it's like, Nope, just me in my pajamas. Uh, have a good night. That's amazing. It was, you know, this really awesome opportunity because, you know, not only were we meeting a lot of different people, but we were providing this space for folks to see artists, to go to shows that, you know, maybe they hadn't ever gone to a show before. So it was like, this really cool incubator from like many different angles. Exactly. And you're exactly right on paying it forward. And artists ask me all the time, like how they can start touring and things like that. And that's exactly how, if you have a draw in your hometown, you know, reach out to the next, you know, city over or whatever and start setting up those gig swaps. Yeah. And like the first tour that I, I booked with my former band Bat House was um, in all different college towns because I had a lot of friends who went to different schools all over the country. A lot of them happened to be, you know, in entertainment related disciplines. So they were super excited about the prospect of, oh great, like I go to a school in the middle of Ohio, but I'm bringing this band from Boston. Let me get all of my friends. Like this is gonna be really exciting for them. And then that was awesome because then we had a strong fan base in all these different college spots. And then, you know, the music that you hear in college tends to kind of stick with you for a while. So it became kind of this really interesting I don't know, like experiment, I guess, that yeah. we had going on. I love it. 
So I met you when you were a senior. Uh, yeah. So full disclosure, Nicole works at the publishing company for Interning 101, Nine Giant Steps. And just to rewind a little bit, um, that publishing company was founded by George Howard, who was my professor a million years ago, not to make George feel, feel old, but he was my professor in the first ever college class he ever, ever taught ever. And I was super excited because I was like, oh my gosh, a real industry person, like no offense to my other amazing professors um, because they have awesome careers, but he had just literally sold Rykodisc, which he had been running. So this was George's first time teaching. And I didn't even really know this memory until kind of recently, but I guess after that first class, I followed him out of the classroom and just like peppered him with questions about the industry because I just, I could tell he was so smart and amazing And in hindsight, in his head, his 30-something head at the time or whatever, he was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm a real educator. Am I doing this right or whatever? So full circle, um, you know, through George is how I know Nicole. And George was one of Nicole's professors at Berkeley. And he also teaches at Brown. And he's just this amazing, he was really respected, like, when I was his student. But now he's like this equally respected, you know, educator, thought leader, all of that. So that's how Nicole and I first met. How did you get looped into working with George's new publishing company with the debut book being mine? I simply just asked George if he needed help with anything. And that was one of my first lessons. And if you just ask, you never know where you might find yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had just asked him if he needed help with any projects that he was working on. And it kind of, you know, took off from there. Amazing. So the first thing that impressed me about you might surprise you. It's that I was speaking at my university, Northeastern, which is down the street from Berkeley, and you showed up and you asked a question. And I guess I shouldn't. It's like sad that I'm impressed, but which has nothing to do with you. But I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, how cool that like she's here and like, you know, this is a really long talk. And um, so that stood out immediately. And I knew you were playing with your band and I was trying to connect you with other bands and stuff like that. Um, But you're also playing with Taurus. So how did that happen? Um, Yeah, a really good friend of mine who, um, Ellen Kempner, she's a songwriter uh, for a band called Pale Hound, which is based out of Boston. They had toured with Torres um, a little while ago and uh, Torres was in need of a drummer for... Uh, opening for Beck and a couple other shows. No big deal. No big deal. Um, (laughs) And so she was reaching out to a couple of her friends, you know, looking for a female drummer. Um, And Ellen was like, I know the perfect person for you. She's not based in New York, but, you know, like, check her out and stuff. So, yeah. And how did you make that work? Because were you still in Boston when you started playing with her? So how how did... Should you do that? Um, just buses, yeah. back and forth, lots of buses. Chinatown bus. Does that still exist? Uh, bolt that, bus? That does exist, but I took the bolt. I'm not a big fan of the Chinatown bus. <laughs> In my day, it was only Chinatown bus, but bolt sounds like a better situation. Little, yeah, a little cleaner. Or outlets, maybe. Yes, so, and outlets. Yes. Awesome. So how long have you been playing with Taurus? Oh, since the beginning of April, about. Yeah. Great. So, full disclosure, I now manage Torres because of Nicole Pompey Pompey. Yeah, which was really cool. And I'm really selective about clients. I knew who Torres was. Um, I was impressed when Nicole's email hit my inbox. I was like, wow, she's like, you know, you're such a connector. And then to top it all off, now you're working at Pledge Music, which is freaking awesome. So how did that happen? Yeah, I got a call... Like in the middle of June, I had interned at Pledge um, in the past and had done 
a little bit of other other work there post grad, um, but then you know split ways uh, whenever the the Boston office of the company closed, um, and then I got a call in the middle of June um, from my former boss, you know, offering me a full time job. Great. Um, and I was also serendipitously looking to move to New York, mm-hmm. so it was like a very perfect moment of. Yes, I'd love to come to New York. Yeah, it kind of worked out really interestingly. And who was that boss? Jace Varden. Okay, great. And what do you think made Jace think of you? Like, were you in touch or like, how did, you know, because that's a a big question for students, obviously. Like, I'm interning, like, how do I get that job? And I don't hear that very often. Like, oh, my old boss just called me and offered me a job. So like, obviously you were great, but like, were you in touch? Why do you think that happened? We have been... Briefly in touch on and off, you know, throughout, you know, this period of time, because we we had a really close relationship when I was Mm -hmm. interning at the company. It's a pretty, it's not that large of a company. Um, So we were all pretty close in the Boston office. Um, And he honestly, you know, just had uh, my name had come up because they were looking for, you know, to bring on another campaign manager. And he's like, I, you know, wanted to bring someone back who, you know, from my old team who Mm -hmm. I loved working with and, and trusted and knew would do a great job. And and all of that. Fantastic. So it was, it was very, it was very flattering to, you know, to yeah. get that call and it's like, oh, wow. Like in interning 101, you touch on how it maybe in the time, it seems like unimportant work that you're doing as an intern, but it just never is unimportant because mm-hmm. now fast forward how much ever amount of time. And he had remembered, you know, the work that I had done previously with Pledge and wanted to bring me back in a much like higher capacity role. Right. And so that is very, very true that, you know, you always want to have a great attitude and, and do a really good job because you just actually never know where it's going to go. Do you remember any, any of those tasks that might have felt mundane or whatever as an intern that you clearly did well? <laughs> I, a lot of the stuff, I wouldn't ever really consider it mundane with, with Pledge because it is a pretty, you know, it's still kind of a tech startup, sure. if you will. So everyone is kind of always jumping in. Mm-hmm. Um, so even as an intern, I was interning at a time where I had the opportunity to be an integral part of a lot of different projects and work very, very closely with actual clients and things and, yeah. and be very involved. So a lot of my tasks weren't really mundane. It was actual like solving real problems exactly. that the company was experiencing. So I think that just in general was maybe an anomaly of an experience. Right. You know, it wasn't a typical internship. No, I think it is. But you understood how the tasks plugged into the bigger picture. And that's the difference. Instead of being like, oh, this sucks. I think that you have, and this is why I wanted you on the show, really unique perspective as a musician and whether you consider yourself this or not, a successful industry person, because you're doing it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that has been interesting, too, that I've heard from our president of North America is just that it's great to have an artist on staff because you can relate to the artists in, you know, different ways that other folks on staff who are amazing and have been in the industry for a long time, but just don't have the perspective of being on the road of what it feels like to put out a record and all sorts of things. Exactly. And it sounds like the pledge team has been super supportive of like you touring with Taurus and stuff, which is like, I mean, it's not a day job, but like kind of a dream day job situation, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. They're super, super amazing about letting me work remotely. I had previously worked um, for them for six weeks when I was on tour um, a long time ago. So kind of having that level of trust and knowing that, you know, I'm not going to 
uh, go rogue yeah. or, you know, abandon, you know, my responsibilities. And that, that also is, you know, such, it feels really great as a young person yes. to be respected in that level and just known that whenever I'm tasked with something mm-hmm. that I will see it through to the end, you know, and I'm not going to just, like I said, go rogue and abandon yeah. the ship. I mean, you earned it, but like what you just said is also so basic and that's why it's just so crazy that people can't do that. You know, it's like, do the things you say you're going to do and get back to everyone. And like, you're probably going to be successful based on that alone, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, a point that um, just some other mentors have raised to me that it seems very, very intuitive and like that should be straightforward and understood, but it's not. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Super wild. So what's your position now at Pledge? Um, I'm a frontline campaign manager. Great. Awesome. Are you able to talk about some of the campaigns you're working on? Um, so some of the projects we have launched right now, um, I'm working on a, with Lyrics Born. Um, I have a Randy Waldman campaign, which is, he's got um, a lot of artists like Vinnie Calyuta, Steve Gadd, like big names, you know, yeah, heavy hitter musicians have played on mm-hmm. his project. Um, and then a handful of other ones in the pipeline. Um, I've inherited a few, so... Um, Ladytron is one that I'm really, nice. really excited about. They just put out a new song, The Island. Awesome. Very, very, very good. Um, and then uh, wrapping up a Dana Fuchs project too, Great. which is really cool because she's awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, Madeline Perot is another one that's oh, amazing. Amazing. And her and her manager are like so great to work good. with. Yeah. Now I should back up. Why don't you tell us what Pledge is and does? And I know it's expanded and things like that. So fill us in. Yeah. Uh, Pledge is direct to fan engagement company. And we come in whenever um, folks, artists are in the release and promotion phase of their, of their record cycle. Um, in the company's past, it's been really, really known for more of the targeted crowdfunding campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of transitioning into a lot more of the pre-order campaigns and yep. doing some. Um, our UK team does a lot of retail campaigns, a lot of buy now stores. Interesting. Um, what does that mean, buy now store? Yeah, so we'll. Um, you can just go and purchase the product. And so it's like someone's e-commerce Got solution, it. basically. So like your D2C. Yeah. Um, so we're transitioning. Direct to consumer. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, and so being new onto the team, I have a mix of the, the frontline projects with the label clients and then a couple of the more kind of crowdfunding DIY as yeah. projects just to get, you know, experience on both, both sides. Definitely. Of the coin. Um, and so Pledge is really unique because you can come to the company with any sort of spectrum of project. You know, we never turn down anyone based on genre or what have you. You know, any artist can work with a the platform. There are, you know, certain kind of benchmarks that you need to have in mind. Like if you don't have an audience or an email list sure. or a way to reach people. Right. Like we, Who do you have to sell to? Yeah, we can't help you sell things. Yeah. But other than that, you know, it's been really amazing because of how much of a difference that it makes for artists. So getting folks to kind of wrap their heads around how they can have transparency over all of Mm -hmm. their revenue streams is huge because it makes such an amazing difference for creators. And that to me is the most compelling part about being a part of this team is that the mission of the company is to help creative people have a sustainable career on their own terms, which you would think is something that happens already, but you know, just because of 
the industry and and the slow adaptations to technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been really amazing to to work with a mixture of clients demographically. So older clients, some of the younger ones, you know, because the older clients are seeing, oh my gosh, like, it's so great. There are people out there who, you know, want this personalized item or want to come backstage to a show or, you know, how it has made an exponential difference for them Mm -hmm. because of previous releases they've done. Just not seeing that kind of revenue ever. So it's been like really, really cool and also very fascinating being a young person myself because I grew up with, with you know, technology, with mm-hmm. uh, e-commerce, with the idea of social media, with all of these, you know, things. And and, yeah. and interning at Pledge forever ago, whenever before I started um, really touring with my band, taught me a lot about how to run a pre-order, yeah. how to collect emails, why that information is important. Exactly. Like what direct-to-fan even means. And mm-hmm. then it was like, oh my gosh. Yes, we can, you know, at least make enough money to press press this vinyl without yes. hemorrhaging ourselves. Yeah. A couple of great things in there. Um, you guys share email addresses with artists, which is huge. Um, there's too, too many music startups, startups, whatever, that don't. So that's really, really crucial information. So for the artists that approach you guys, this is, I'm just curious. Um that aren't at a certain level and don't have an audience? Like, do you have a place to send them? Or I have an idea. So if you don't, I, I'm just curious what you do with those people. Yeah. So we, um, uh, being a frontline campaign manager, I work with our, our business development team. Mm-hmm. And so they're out, you know, talking to all sorts of labels and management companies and they have all these relationships, but we also have an organics side. And so the organics team um, is where artists who sign up to the site. Uh-huh. So if an artist signs up and they you know, have to fill out some information based on their, their email list, their social channels, what the project is, their kind of general timeline, yeah. so that we can get a sense, our organics team can get a sense of, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, will you hit this goal? Yeah. And if, you know, it seems like they're not going to, you know, they don't have enough social channels or, you know, ways to reach people, then we're able to give, you know, we do give them recommendations of what things that you can do Great. to build that. And then once you're in a better place, then you can come back to us and we'll, you know, revisit this. Mm-hmm. But we do provide, you know, some best practices and some tips for them. It's not just like, uh, no, we don't want to work yeah. with you. Cool. We give them, you know, a response that is like Great. actually crafted for them. I love it. Yeah. Um, so did you intern anywhere else, by the way? I um, interned with Alston Pudding with Dan. Nice! Who's in Interning 101. Yes. Yeah, so when I was at Alston Pudding, um, I was helping Dan run ticket giveaways, um, keep an upcoming uh ongoing calendar all the shows going on in Boston doing some copy editing uh helping them come up with new social strategy for the for the blog um and it was in Dan's apartment and it was such a great that was my first internship um and that was a really great first internship to have too which then I later found out that Dan had interned with Emily and so it makes all the sense in the world why Dan was such a great supervisor. Oh my gosh okay so I love all of this um I know Dan through an ex-boyfriend who like connected him with me for an internship or whatever Dan shows up at my apartment 18 years old or whatever in a suit and tie and I was like, you don't have to wear that really anywhere in the music industry. I mean, he was like terrified. He felt so bad. And he went on to be a great intern, founded Alston Pudding, which still is a great live blog in Boston. And um, 
we can talk about this after the show, but I run into him all the time biking up and down Metropolitan Avenue. So very, very small world. So those were your two internships, Alston Pudding and, and Pledge? Uh, yeah, I stayed at Pledge for a little while because Great. they, yeah, I interned for credit and then they wanted to start paying me to intern. Awesome. So I had stayed there for two semesters. Yeah. Very cool. I, I don't like it when people ask me this because you have so much going on, but like, <laughs> what's next or what are some of your goals? Like, what are you thinking about? Yeah, um, this was something that um, I had mapped out at the beginning of the year and have found myself kind of meandering off the path of the goals, but in an interesting um, and an well, interesting sorry to interrupt. What was your goal then? Because that to me, you're doing so well, but I I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I um the the former band that I was in, yeah. um, we I had uh, facilitated a signing with some agents at New Frontier. Great. Um, and so the plan was to be finishing a record and to be going on tour with them yeah. in the fall. But uh, I'm clearly in New York and doing other things now. Mm-hmm. So that had been my plan, and you know, different benchmarks with that project. Yeah. But, um, I've ventured into more of the hired gun playing versus trying to run a band and, mm-hmm. and all of that good stuff. So that was kind of my hard left. Yeah. Uh, but my goal, goal, upcoming goals, um, I've been working on a hundred day project, um, which has been super fun. And my last chunk of the project, I'm uh, venturing down to do some uh, remixes of the songs that were on NPR's uh, recent list that they put out of mm-hmm. the 21st century uh, women. Yeah. So that's a project that I'm working on. Um, upcoming, you know, within the next couple of years, I hope to be uh, the go-to uh, touring hired gun player, you know, specifically for for big shows. In 10 years, I want to be the go-to hired gun for arena work and such. So I've got some big goals in the in the playing world. I love it. Last thing, just jumping back to your your industry career for a second, like what have you learned at Pledge? Because I will say like it's such a unique combination of, like you said, a startup with some, I I mean this with love and all due respects, but some really old school guys there. And I'm glad they've, I hate to say ended up, but ended up there because they are teaching, like you said, classic rock artists and people from the pre-digital era, like how to do this, how to connect with their audience and things like that. So you have a really unique mix of talent there. So like, what are some things you've learned in any capacity? I've learned a lot of interesting, um, like a lot more than I ever thought that I would know about, you know, how to build product mixes for an artist that makes sense for their fans. So Mm -hmm. like our hard rock artists, a lot of those artists are also phenomenal musicians. So of course the fans are going to love things like yeah. signed guitars that the band played in studio right. and things like that. And I'm like learning, you know, I haven't, I don't have experience at a label yeah. and things. So I, that's like a world that I don't really quite understand yet. And, you know, I'm obviously learning a ton about that from mm-hmm. my superiors. So just getting a lot of insight from them on like how to navigate some of these situations. And then, you know, the conversations of like, let me sit down and tell you like about the old days, you know, kind of stuff just to give, you know, context and background. So some things that make all the sense in the world to me, what I would think that a label would be doing to support a release that, you know, may or may not be happening. And then getting the backstory from my colleagues of like, oh, this is like why this is playing out this way but let's see if we can spin it and like help guide them in these other ways. I love that. Do you have an example of something that you think a label should be doing and then 
because I want to know if you were right, <laughs> if you were talked out of it. I mean, just some of the, some of the like all hands meetings with a, a client and their team, just some of the things that they'll say that they've done or tried, you know, like doing things like not sending a pre-launch email to right. the fan base. Like, yeah. what have you done to email the fans? Yeah. Oh, I don't know where that list is. We've like lost it. Right. Like, so just like basic things of like file management and, you know, P's and Q's on the checklist kind yeah. of stuff. So some of those things have been very surprising to me that yeah. they don't happen in the ways that they do. I love you. So, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Cause so what you're saying is like, why doesn't the label have that? Yeah. Oh, this is a, that is a totally different conversation. And I am glad that the, the pledge people explain it to you. Cause it's fucked up, you know, cause you're exactly right. And that's like how I've built my career and how like, the Dresden Dolls were, who I started with in college. Like, it was, I've said this before, I'll keep saying it. If Amanda's next to me or not, she wouldn't care. Like, she had an email list in 2003 before, like, email lists were a thing. And it came out of paranoia. Because she was like, what if you go away? What if, you know, the fancy attorney goes away? What if the booking agent goes away? This is the only pipeline I have to my audience to share my music and their shows. And Mm -hmm. so... Yeah, it is absurd that people don't understand that, especially industry people. So, fascinating. Yeah, yeah fascinating. Like, those uh, having a good visibility of where your files are is, like, yes. very, very important. Absolutely. I love it. Well, I'm glad you can teach the pledge people what's up. <laughs> Even though they know what's up and they were just explaining to you, you know, how messed up it is. Um, awesome. Do you have any questions for me? Well, what are some things you have coming up? Oh, man. Um, I just found out I'm going to Mexico next week with a client. So that. Um, But yeah, honestly, like, there's a ton going on um, at Collective Entertainment. There's a ton going on with this podcast. There's a ton going on with Interning 101 Book. Um, But just, like, honestly, as a human, I'm really happy to be home in Brooklyn as much as possible. Um, so that's what I'm excited about. I know that's not very exciting, but how to have that routine, yes. you know, but, but when you're flying around all over the place, yep. you kind of feel like you've lost your center a bit. So absolutely. can definitely empathize with wanting to be centered in one spot. Totally. Um, great. So where can people find you like on Twitter and stuff? Uh, my, my handle is Pompey, P-O-M, three P's, three Y's, Instagram, Twitter, Follow my 100 day project. Love it. New drum video every day. That's amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nicole. I really appreciate you being a guest. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So that's a wrap for episode nine of Interning 101. Have a great rest of your day, night, wherever you are, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Interning 101 podcast. I'm your host, Emily White. You can follow us anytime over on Twitter at Interning101, as well as on our website, interning101.com. I'm on Twitter at at EMWizzle. Hit us up anytime if you have questions, comments, guest suggestions, or just want to get something off your mind. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.
This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.